Avast me hearties, heave to and prepare to be boarded. In old school games, life is cheap. Don't be a blasted dope. Bring your pool, your oil, and your rope. And try not to go down in a heap to Davy Jones' locker. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Down in a Heap podcast. I'm your host, Rob. Podcasting to you live from my rumpus room in beautiful northeast Minneapolis. I still uh, haven't figured out how to retrieve my old theme song, so the pirate one will be the placeholder for, <laughs> for now. I know I could just use another device to play it and, and record it um, on Anchor, just make another segment. I just haven't had a chance to do it. And Jason actually suggested that if I log out of Anchor and log back in, that he's had this issue before, and sometimes it's repopulated his library or something with the older segments. So I'll try that. I just need to find my Anchor password. Um, But in the meantime, I'll just roll along with the, the punches that Anchor's given me. Today... I'm going to roll up a new character, because I called down the thunder. I tempted fate by talking about how there hadn't been any deaths in Whispered Tales of Gore, and how I was feeling almost that, uh, with Cole avoiding death by through his uh, the potion of health, uh, he had failed to save against giant spider poison but still managed to live well in our last ep- last uh, session on Sunday first we went to town um, there's a town maybe I don't know five miles away or something from the ruined city and Cole had long ago commissioned a suit of plate mail he finally came in enough funds to afford plate mail and because dwarves are fairly rare there's no like off the rack chain mail or plate mail or anything so whatever you start with is what you're stuck with unless you find um, a suit of appropriately sized armor or you commission one to be made so they went we went to town i was playing up cole as kind of a um, well he always had been a little bit of a a lush and a a hedonist, but I really played it up when we went to town because of his his recent brush with death. He was really wanting to kind of live for the day and stuff. But we, so we secured our plate mail, consulted, or Cole's plate mail, consulted a sage to try and discover some secrets about uh, Arden Vool, the the mega dungeon that we're investigating and we gave him a couple of topics to research we we offered him a potion of insight which temporarily increases um, the drinker's intelligence um, in return for his services and uh, we figured well what sage wouldn't want the possibility to temporarily boost their knowledge to maybe make some breakthrough discovery and (laughs) as we don't have an arcane caster in our group the 
you know, increasing intelligence really in a game mechanical point of view doesn't do anything. So, um, so we figured it was money well spent or money avoided, <laughs> payment avoided by using this potion as a, as a lure. Anyway, we, so we go back to the, the dungeon. So Cole's feeling pretty confident now. He's finally got a pretty good armor class with plate mail and shield. And uh, I think the first encounter we had, we bar barged through a door. And mind, I probably have this sequence wrong. Keith will probably correct me or something. But we barged through this door and there are six people in, in it. And it stinks in there, and they're, they look emaciated and are immediately start crying out for food and water that they've been trapped in here. And we were thinking this is pretty fishy and asked, like, well, do they, do they look dead? <laughs> and Keith said, well, yeah, they, they look pretty ragged around the edges, so... Bill's cleric is getting ready to turn undead, and uh, um, but uh, we lose initiative. I can't remember if Bill got a the turning off in time or like as a action before the combat uh, began, or if that was his action the first round. But regardless, we lost initiative, and Cole, even though having his new great armor was hit twice <laughs> by one of these creatures that turned out to be ghouls. And so he had to make two saving... Th well, first, one of the claws was a crit, and it, and it exploded several times. So between a claw and a bite, I think I took 15 points of damage. Uh, so that was already, whew, bad news. But, of course, the, the absolute worst thing about ghouls in um, classic versions of the game is paralysis and... Save or being uh, paralyzed for a very long time is basically just a death sentence. Um, if uh, unless your your side wins the encounter, right? So I had to make two saving throws. Boom! Roll it a three and a seven, and I think I needed a an eleven or something. So I blow it. I'm I'm uh, out of action. Bill's cleric manages to turn three of the ghouls, I think it was an automatic turn for him being a fourth level cleric, but you roll the hit dice and you came up with uh, enough to uh, turn three of the ghouls. So we, we're facing off against three ghouls. We have uh, had my third level dwarf, Bill's fourth level cleric, Adam's third level thief, and Brian's third level halfling, plus a man-at-arms and a torchbearer. And we're rolling like crap. Uh, the second round, Bill's Cleric is hit. He also rolls crap and misses the save, so now the Cleric's paralyzed. This is looking grim. Brian's Halfling is also hit, but I think he managed to make his... Or, wait, was it Adam's Thief? Someone was hit and managed to make their saving throw. But I think we only scored a couple of hits and didn't bring down any ghouls. And then Brian's halfling is hit, and he fails the saving throw. And uh, Keith makes a morale check for the retainers. They fail. They're running. And they're, again, running with, uh, with the light source. So 
uh, Adam's thief is in the dark facing off against three ghouls and three more that are temporarily out of action by the turning, but he's uh, realizing this is a no-go, so he follows the torchbearer, follows the light out of the dungeon, and uh, the ghouls engage in a grisly smorgasbord of paralyzed dwarf, halfling, and cleric. So, a near TPK. I had, uh, I left, or dropped out of the session at that point. I was getting really tired, um, but now it's time to roll new characters. And if, um, you know, you're new or haven't heard me say before, Whisper Tales of Gore is essentially BXD&D that's following along with a lot of the, um, some new concepts or new ideas put forth by James V. West in his Black Pudding zine, in the Black Pudding Heavy Helping, uh, which is a compilation. There's a OSR rule set that he put forth, and we use most of it. Uh, there are a few things we don't use in it, but uh, it's kind of like taking the BX chassis, uh, using a single saving throw like Swords and Wizardry, and then there's a few, um, like the Thief uses saving throws uh, to to perform thieving skills rather than having like a percentage. So your saving throw goes down every level, so you're getting better at your thieving skills every, every level, and you can pick um, skills to be like better at. And fighters can do some battle moves and have like a weapon mastery um, but yeah so anyway it's time for me to make up a character so you generate the stats and the six classic attributes by rolling 3d6 down the line and we have a rule that if you roll something below six it's increased to a six and then you can swap one score for another so that's a way to kind of make the character uh, more geared towards the class you might want to play. Like if you if you want to play a magic user and you roll a, a 7 intelligence, but you rolled a, a 14 in strength, you could flip-flop those two. But we don't have the like lowering one attribute or several attributes to increase another um, like they have in... In Moldate Basic, we don't use that, so there's no real uh, uh, method to optimize in that way. So I had to take a sip of coffee. So here we go. I got my uh, my three yellow six-siders. The last two characters I rolled up for Whisper Tales of Gore. I've incredibly rolled an 18 for both of them. And, uh, you know, the la when I rolled it for Cole... I was almost disappointed. I <laughs> I don't really want to have a great superhero character. Um, I mean, Cole didn't have any other bonuses, I don't think, uh, initially, except the, the strength. But uh, I'm kind of wanting to play a spellcaster. That's usually what I play as uh, a magic user. Sometimes I play a thief. But the, So the one su surviving character we have is Adam's Thief. Uh, he's, you know, third level. He's, I think he's close to fourth level. So, Adam, you know what that means. Uh, you're on point now, buddy. I don't care if you're a freaking thief. You've got the most hit points. Uh, you're going to be out front. 
<laughs> You're the de facto leader now. Lead us. <laughs> anyway, so let's uh, get down to it. I rolled an 11 for strength. And for intelligence, roll a 12. For wisdom, I got a, an 11. It's very average so far. For dexterity, I got a 10. For constitution. Oh, there's a bonus. I get a 15. And for charisma. I get a, an 11. So, hmm. I could really play anything. I mean, I don't have any penalties. I've got a bonus in constitution, which is, I guess, good for, for any class. Um... Hmm. I think I'm going to just make him a cleric. I'll flip-flop my intelligence and wisdom. Not that it mechanically means anything. But, um... So I'll have a, an intelligence of an 11 and a 12 in wisdom now. In Whisper Tales, of course. You can roll every level that you gain to uh, increase uh, attributes. And lower attributes are more apt to increase than higher ones so if I do uh, at some point in the future gain levels and I have a chance to improve my wisdom I guess that will go up to a bonus one thing so Keith is basing the we it's the the rules that we've been using have evolved slightly so Keith we in BX you know traditional BX clerics don't start out with a first level spell um, but Keith is using more like Labyrinth Lord as the, the base chassis. And in Labyrinth Lord, clerics do get a first level spell at first level. So, I mean, even if we have multiple clerics in the party, um, you know, that's the one class where that and like fighter types, it's probably fine to have redundancies. If it turns out that... No one else wants to play a magic user. I'll do it. But uh, honestly, I'm kind of tired of getting killed at first level all the time <laughs> as a magic user. Uh, our last mega dungeon, it took me three attempts to get beyond first level. And um, it, that was that got a little old. And yeah. Uh, in Whisper Tales, of course, you start out with four hit points for like a zero level to to explain why you know like commoners uh, have hit points and stuff everyone has hit points right and then you get maximum hit points at first level so uh, a first level magic user in in this system would start out with eight hit points so you are much more durable than in a traditional bx game um, a first level fighter would have 12 hit points um, so yeah, there is that. It's uh, yeah, we're we're panty waist. We uh, <laughs> we we bolster the characters a little bit at first level to try and make them a little bit more survivable. So, as a cleric, I would have four hit points for zero level max uh, for a cleric at first level. So that's ten, and I get a plus one bonus for my fifteen constitution. So I have eleven hit points. Actually, you know what? I, I should have. 
The thing I usually do before I pick a class is roll for my cash, too. <laughs> yep, I'm a power gamer. If I roll crap for cash, I usually will not choose a martial class because if you can't afford any armor or not, you know, really bad armor, uh, it's not, it's not a good thing to start out with uh, as a fighter or, or even a cleric. So I'm going to roll my cash too here and, uh, uh, below average, I get 90 gold pieces. Maybe I should be a magic user. Hmm. Well, I'm going to just go with the cleric. So I got 90 gold pieces um, in, in this uh, black pudding rule set. There, there are some random tables that you roll on to, uh, um, to kind of establish a little bit of a, uh, a background, a rough background of sorts. You can roll for like a, kind of a talent that you have, you roll for uh, um, friends and foes and the relationship that you have with them, who you were raised by, um, and a background, like kind of a failed background. It is like a really exotic, if you, if you go along with this, there's some really weird things. And then if you, when you roll if you roll for languages that you know, there's some really weird things you can have, like, I speak wind, <laughs> or I speak uh, tree. So it has a, a really weird vibe to it if you use it for uh, kind of setting implications and stuff. There's also a what's in your pocket, uh, where you roll kind of for a trinket and a vice. For Cole, let's see, Cole, I think his, his vice was wine, which is why I played him up as a lush, and which goes against what the dwarves in this Arden Vool setting, they tend to be teetotal uh, because they're, they're uh, wary of getting drunk because they don't want to be swindled. But uh, Cole was a, a lush. His trait was amused, so I did play him up as kind of a joker. There was a cleric who didn't like me as my like uh, friend and foe thing. My background was a digger and uh i started out with a trinket as a brass fork so let's see what my cleric here is all about so first i roll a relationship i have uh someone who doesn't like me just like <laughs> like cole did and then i roll a d20 to see who this person is it's a merchant that doesn't like me hmm. Okay. Um, I was raised by, I roll a d20, 12 villains. <laughs> okay. Raised by villains. So does that mean my cleric follows in their footsteps and is, and is a villain? Or maybe he's, um, maybe he's, kind of reformed or something or wants to uh, was sickened by the villainy of his parents or maybe he's somewhat virtuous but still has kind of a, a villainous streak in him he can maybe see the other side of the coin hmm. I'll have to noodle about that 
Let's see, his skill or talent is seven, sleight of hand. Well, that maybe goes along with the, the villainy. Maybe his, uh, maybe his parents were some kind of street hustlers. Um, or pickpockets, some kind of swindlers. And he picked up that skill with them. Uh, his trait is also a seven, vengeful. And I'm not going to roll for languages because I only get one. It will be based on what kind of human culture I, I choose. Background is a D100 table. Well, the 25. Diplomat. Weird. Okay. Background is a diplomat. And Keith doesn't really, I mean, it's basically kind of like the the old DMG secondary skill kind of thing. It's just like, you if you can make an argument that your PC would have a skill based on what their background was, then you can, he'll give you a chance to do something with it. Um, so it's, it's really just kind of loosey-goosey in that regard. Let's see, what's in my pocket? That's 3D12, weird, but uh, cool. I'm gonna try and find a couple more D12s. I have 15, right? Kind of, oh frick, a brass fork again? <laughs> maybe, maybe it's Cole's brass fork. He dropped it along the way somewhere and it's uh, now the lucky charm of my new character. Uh, and my vice is a d20 table. Six adventure is my vice, so maybe he's a little bit, uh, um, he's got the wanderlust, or he's a thrill seeker of sorts. So in the cleric section, I don't know if Keith is using this stuff. There, there's, um, I don't think he is, but there's charts in here to kind of determine what, uh, what your your faith is like you you follow you roll to see what like domain the god you follow is um you actually there's a different spell system in here for clerics which he isn't using or we weren't using for whisper tales of gore then you roll to see what weapons are allowed what armor is allowed the prohibitions of lifestyle and uh what does your god hate holy vestments what powers are invested in you. So I'll roll on these things, but I think there is kind of a pantheon and maybe uh, um, maybe there's a deity that fits into that or maybe Keith will just say, make up whatever you want. Kind of depends on what uh, culture I choose to. There's kind of like a, like a Byzantine type of culture. There's a, one that's kind of like Celtic or pseudo-Anglo-Saxon. Uh, then there's one that's like Norse one that's a horse nomad culture and an older culture which this Arden Vool is like that has uh, an Egyptian, definite Egyptian feel. So there might be pantheons already that um, I'll just choose a deity from. But we'll roll just to see like maybe this will guide me somehow. I rolled a 12. The domain is beer, wine, or food. So I don't know. Maybe he's a cleric of Dionysus or Bacchus or something. Uh, 
beer, wine, food. So I've got another drunkard. This is, um, um, fiction is ape's life. Um, <laughs> uh, what does your god hate? Let's roll a d10. Evil. Okay. Oh, wait, was that supposed to be a d20? Oh, crap, it was supposed to be a d20. I wasn't looking very closely, so I'll reroll that. This time it's... Hmm. Well, I suppose it's appropriate for um, a cleric and for uh, maybe someone that... Uh, holds up the virtues of, like, uh, earthiness of beer, wine, and food, but hates undead. Okay. Uh, my holy vestments, this is a D10 table, is, come on, conical hat, no, a cape. Well, that's almost as good. So my vestment is uh, a cape. dun dun dun, dun. My weapons allowed is a d20. And I rolled a 7. Yeah. Pretty classic blunt weapons. That's There's a range of 2 to 7 where that's in effect. So that kind of follows suit. Bill's cleric could only use a spear. <laughs> the holy spear. But alas, he is gone now. Uh, armor allowed. And any armor is fine. All right, so this is classic cleric. Any armor and prohibition of lifestyles at D12. What can I not do? Uh, let's see. Reading. <laughs> My prohibition is reading. It's filled with blasphemy and lies. Hmm. Okay. And what power is invested in you? I, I really don't think Keith is using this anymore, but I'll roll on the D100 table. This is where uh, Adam's cleric, which I uh, had some read caps with, Buck had the ability to transform into a stag once a day, and this is where he got that power. So I roll a 70, 74 transform into random animal once a day. Well, okay, I'll write it down. So that's the same thing that Buck had. Weird. But like I said, I don't think this is um, something Keith is doing. All right, so my saving throw at first level is a 15. As a cleric, I get plus two on saves against poison, paralysis, and death. And uh, that's pretty much it, aside from buying equipment with my... Uh, with my 90 gold pieces. So, yeah, that's, I guess, pretty much done and done. I don't think anyone wants to hear me do a shopping trip. My my modus operandi with uh, a first-level character is usually to buy the best armor I can and, uh, and, uh, and at least a, a weapon, right? And then just whatever gear I can pick up along the way. So that's... Usually what I do, it's uh, 
kind of the standard BX equipment tables, although we did do some modifications where metal armor is twice as much as uh, what is listed, so I'm probably going to be stuck with ring mail and shield or leather and shield or something, but uh, say la vie. Uh, not sure how long I've gone here, so if it's not too long, well, I almost have a half hour. I was going to say I might do some calls, but let's see. I'll shut up now. The groundlings and their motor steeds are finished. They're called motorcycles. Shall we be going? You know, on second thought, I think I'm going to, if I'm remembering right, I think Keith does give bonus spells for high wisdom for clerics in his uh, newer adaptation of Whisper Tales of Gore. So I think I'm going to swap the 15 that I rolled in Constitution for the 11 I rolled in Wisdom. And that way I'd get a bonus spell too, so I'd have two spells. I think that's probably more worthwhile in the long run than, uh, than having an extra hit point. Famous last words? We'll find out. Yo, Rob, so more on magic weapons. Uh, in Pathfinder 2nd Edition, you have uh, two separate types of magic weapon runes, which are how you improve weapons. You can apply magic weapon runes to them. So if you already have a weapon that you love, you find a rune, boom, there you go, now it's a magic weapon. Anyway, uh, one of the types of runes gives you a bonus to your accuracy, the other one, which is called a rune of striking, gives you an extra damage die. So if you have a plus one striking dagger, that dagger uh, would, instead of doing 1d4 damage, would do 2d4 damage, but not necessarily give you any bonuses to hit. So it's it's pretty cool. It gets a little gnarly when you're talking about like a great axe that instead of doing a D12 is now doing two D12. But, you know, it's it's sort of what folks are talking about. Anyway, man, peace out. Hey, thanks for the call, Joe. That's a pretty cool idea. It reminds me of the old Arcanum by Bard Games. There was there were some classes in there that could cast a spell called Ruins and it would allow you to to inscribe different things on you know, different items, and I think they could even create, like, I think there was a limit on how many runes you could inscribe on an item, but you could create a rune staff, which could have many runes on it. But, I, yeah, there, I know there was one that would give you a bonus to hit, one that would give a bonus to damage, one that would do, like, fire damage, one that would do cold damage, one that would, like, a, a rune of protection would protect you against something, maybe increase your armor class, or against a certain type of spell, or... Yeah, that's cool. Um, and the extra damage, that reminds me of the spell Striking from BX, which is, a, I think, a third-level cleric spell, and it just adds a die of damage to what, uh, yeah, a weapon does. So that's cool. That sounds like a good method. Loving the discussion on the magic swords. I like the idea of the dice chain, or even roll multiple dice. I, so I would like to see magic weapons in a world be unique, and every magic item be a unique item. But I think the D&D world fights that because I think the game, base game mechanics require you have an abundance of weapons because you have so many monsters that are immune to regular weapons and things. In later editions of D&D, this is. 
I talk about this with um, Evil Jeff over at Minions and Musings on his Calling Collective 5, Volume 3, Return of the Nerds. So if you want to hear more on that, you go over there and listen to it. But yeah, I, I like the idea of every magic weapon being unique. And, you know, I, I don't think you should have armies where everybody's got plus one sword and stuff like that. Okay, let me list your other sh- calls. Yeah, I definitely need to get back to listening to Minions and Musings and catch up on the deep dive that Evil Jeff is doing on the BX Companion. I've slowly been kind of catching up on a couple of podcasts and stuff, and uh, yeah, I need to push that one to the top of the list. Uh, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I don't like it when there's uh, when magic items are really prevalent to the point where you've got a, a whole mercenary company or something, and half of them have <laughs> magic weapons or armor. It's it is a weird kind of setup where in classic D and D, especially a lot of the adventures, you, there's they're just littered with magic items. But then making magic items is so difficult. So I guess it does speak to kind of a post-apocalyptic kind of setting where there was, at some point in the past, there were all these really powerful wizards that made a crap ton of magic items and they're just laying around now. Uh, but the the wizards of today, <laughs> it takes them uh, eons to get to the point where they can make anything. Uh, magical, uh, which yeah, I kind of like having a setup more where you can make little minor magic items at lower levels, maybe potions or something that a wand that just holds a spell or something. Or I like those types of setups. I don't think you know a fifth level magic user should be able to create a staff of the magi or something, but it seems like they should be able to enchant a sword or inscribe a scroll or something so i think even in holmes you could maybe inscribe scrolls right from the get-go uh i can't hmm. anyway uh yeah i i agree in principle on the idea of having more unique items i tend to create a lot of unique magic items and and don't use so many of the traditional you know the blog standard book bags of holdings and rings of invisibility and elven cloak and boots and gauntlets of ogre power and all that stuff. I I tend not to use them and am probably more stingy than most players like as far as placing magic items. I don't, I sometimes will roll on the tables and stuff, but I don't always do that. Um, and like in the in the game we had been playing, so we're a party of third and fourth level characters. I don't even think we have or had any like permanent magic items we were aware of. I, I don't know. I can't remember. But like Cole had nothing. He didn't have a potion. He didn't have anything magical. So I think Keith is even stingier than I am. Hey, Rob. Just want to say. For a contest for the next Mitterzine, we're entering into the spookiest month of the year. So why not have people call in and talk about their favorite monster movie? That sounds like a good plan. Let's do that. By Halloween, call in 
and let me know what your favorite monster movie is and why. And we'll have a big Monster Mash episode where we give away the next Mitter zine. Or should I give away one of the bigger things for that? That seems like kind of a really fun one that we... Tell you what, if we get more than a dozen entries, I'll give away Chewer of Fingers. If it's less than a dozen, it will be a midrazine of your choice. But call in by midnight on Halloween, the 31st of October, with your favorite monster movie. Thanks, Jason. Yo, Rob, since all the talk about magic weapons lately, maybe for your next contest, you could do your favorite magic weapon from fiction. Is that something you've already done? Jesus Christ, man. Anyway, if you haven't already done that, maybe you could do that. (laughs) Take it easy, dude. Peace out. And there's another good idea for a contest. I think I will do that as the one after the monster movie. But I'll probably enlarge it to just like either your favorite magic item in uh, literature or maybe the your, the favorite magic item you've ever had as a character or something like that in, a, in an RPG. Thanks for the idea. Hey, Rob. Daniel from Bandits Keep. You're asking if anybody has used that. I think you are right about Jeff Rins. Um The D30 rule? Yeah, I used it in my 5e campaign. Uh, it's funny, sometimes the players forgot to use it because, of course, they didn't want to save it, right? Um, but I, I don't know if his rule was like this, but this is how I did it. The DM, a.k.a. me, also got to use it once per session. And they knew that. They'd be looking at that D30 knowing that I could use it at any time. Uh, and that was kind of a fun uh, thing. But funny enough, they used it mostly for healing. That, uh, the times that they remembered to use it usually were like when somebody was doing like a healing word spell that was like a D4 healing in the middle of combat where everybody was really hurt. And they'd be like, oh, I'm going to use a D30 for that. And yeah, there were times where they rolled, you know, six or five or 10, you know, and I had times where they rolled a 30 as well. So that was, it was pretty epic. And I mean, you got to play in that kind of game, right? It's kind of like a save, savior from above when you roll that D30 and it comes out nice. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Well, what's good for the goose is good for the gander, right? If the players are able to roll the D30 once a game, I think that, I think the referee should be able to as well. And that does spice things up a little bit. I didn't even think about rolling it for healing. That's uh, pretty, yeah, that's very resourceful. Uh, as long as you have a lot of hit points at first level, it might not be worth it because, you know, if you've got six hit points or something. But um, hmm, that's that's cool, and I could totally see forgetting that you have it or, or, like you said, saving it for the moment you need it and and missing an opportunity, just, you know, holding it and holding it and holding it and you never really need it. And then, oops, it's gone. Thanks for the call. Hey, Daniel. Yeah, I don't know about the crossover for the podcasts and the listener base and all that. I kind of come from it from an ignorance is bliss standpoint. So <laughs> I, I have to assume that most of my listeners are other podcasters and um, a shared listener base without a doubt. So, But I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I even want it, to be honest. Great show, though. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Take care. Hey, Rob. Daniel. Uh, listening to the, uh, you were talking about how many people are listening, you know, 
poll idea or whatever. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing actually the other day that I wonder like there's probably a decent amount of people in our audience that are just other podcasters. And then there's also a decent amount that probably listen for a while and then start a podcast. Like I was that, right? <laughs> I just called in so much that I was like, you know, what? I'm going to have my own podcast. So Anchor just keeps building on itself, I guess. But uh, yeah, it is, it is pretty cool though, the, the overlap and everything. So uh, awesome show as always and look forward to hearing you soon. Yeah, it does seem really likely that we all, or most of us in this little niche of the hobby and podcasting community share a lot of the same audience. And I don't necessarily, I don't think that's really a bad thing. Like, uh, like Daniel kind of points out, I think it's kind of cool that we have these topics of conversation that kind of go from show to show and, um, and each person kind of gives their own spin on things. And I mean, it's not always that way, of course, but Sometimes it's kind of fun when each podcaster gives their slant on on something game-related. And, of course, you see a lot of that on the Audio Dungeon Discord, too, where a lot of us hang out. Sometimes I, I wonder if we exhaust what could be cool podcasting ideas and topics and thoughts um, on, the, on the Discord and kind of talk it out there rather than because i i think the overlap is much smaller on the discord uh, maybe i'm wrong there maybe but like i know for instance the the guys in my game group as far as i know aren't on the audio dungeon discord so they don't see any of that but uh, anyway it is kind of funny how it just kind of keeps growing but then unfortunately we seem to lose a few podcasts each year too or where someone goes dark per, either permanently or you know seemingly permanently or has an extended period where they're just uh life gets in the way or they're just kind of talked out or have other uh interests that come to the fore and uh yeah so it's kind of this cycle of podcasts i guess Thanks for the calls, guys. Yo, Rob, I'm on the plane right now, but I had to turn my airplane mode back on. We're not, we haven't taken off yet, so it's still safe. But am I understanding you right that if you took a leave of absence because you would feel unsafe due to what's happened to you and due to how crappy that the pandemic is still raging across the country and the world, that they would take away your health insurance? If that's right... I, you know, I'm on a plane, so I can't swear as much as I want to right now, if that's right, man. That sucks. Anyway, man, you do what you need to do. Feel safe. You're an awesome dude. Take it easy. Peace out. Well, I don't know if you heard it right or not. I wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't lose my health insurance if I took a leave of absence. But I would have to pay it, from my understanding. Now, I could maybe file some kind of grievance through my union if, if that were to occur. Uh, if I was litigious, I suppose I could maybe take them to court or something because I think, uh, you know, there's a, a right to a safe workplace uh, kind of law or provision or something. It would just be a matter of, like, proving it. But as there are other retailers, grocers in town that are, are being more much more 
safe, or at least following the protocol advised by the CDC and the Minnesota Department of Health, I might have a case, but, you know, um, I don't know what I'm going to do. The, the case counts keep climbing. We're up to nearly 3,000 cases per day of positive tests of new cases of COVID in Minnesota statewide. Um, the, you look at a graph and it just keeps going up and up and up. And um, I know it's kind of turned the corner if you look at the nation as a whole, but at least here in Minnesota, we haven't turned the corner yet. And I'm getting nervous. I got some time off coming up here. I'm hoping that by the time that uh, I'm due to come back to work that we've turned the corner or something. But yeah, I'm still pretty nervous and um, I don't know. It would If I took a couple, you know, especially if it was just a few weeks, it's like no big deal. In fact, it might not even cost me anything because I think insurance premiums come out like at the first of the month. So if I time, if it happened to time right with the leave of absence being gone a couple of weeks, all I'd probably lose is a couple of weeks of pay, which is no big deal, especially if it uh, keeps me from getting the virus. But who knows? I could catch it when transmission rates are really low too. It's just you're rolling the dice. It's just I suppose your your odds are much worse of getting it uh, when when it's raging, right? So thanks for the call though. And uh, now uh, we got a call from someone we haven't heard from for a long, long time. Is it Tico Torres or is it Tim Shorts? You decide. Welcome to the penthouse, Thunder. Hey Rob, this is Tim Shorts from Gothridge Manor. Hey, I wanted to catch up with you. I hadn't uh, called you in a long time and just kind of getting back into listening to some podcasts. Been kind of out of the loop for a while. And just, I, I mean, I'm sorry to hear that you're, you know, having some trouble with a kind of COVID PTS, you know, D and everything like that, it sounds like. So hopefully that gets better for you, man. I'm sorry to hear that. And I'm sorry to hear that your, your bosses are kind of being dicks. Kind of dealing with that on my end too, a little bit. Uh, but luckily, you know, um, I'm, I'm kind of allowed to make my own rules with my own office. So, uh, so, uh, definitely Matt, Matt mask mandate in my place. And if you don't like it, I don't, you know, go someplace else. So, um, take care of me and hopefully get some gaming in and, um, we'll talk again soon. Hey Tim, really good to hear from you. Thanks for the call and the uh, well wishes i appreciate it a great deal and yeah that's that's cool that you're able to kind of set the policy for your own office and stuff and uh, that, <laughs> believe me i wish i could um yeah i mean the thing is i know there are some of my employees just hated wearing masks and i don't know if they're really anti-maskers or anti-vaxxers but there's definitely a strong element of people that either don't think it does anything or don't think COVID is that big of a, th I don't know what their logic is, but I mean, I don't really, I, on some level I'd feel bad if they were forced to mask up when they really didn't want to, but you know what, it's, if people just 
got vaccinated and masked up, maybe we'd all be through this a lot quicker, right? Just pull together, everyone. I don't, I don't see why it's such an issue to uh, be pulling up the rope in the same direction. We're all in this freaking thing together, right? Anyway, um, Tim is uh, plugging away on uh, the uh, Many Crypts of Lady Ingrade, his Zine Quest 3 zine. He's been given some updates and stuff. He unfortunately lost his original artist that was going to be uh, doing the illustrations and stuff for it, but he's gotten Diogo Naguera of... Uh, Sharp Swords and Sinister Spell fame of Cosmic Swords and... <laughs> He's created a lot of cool games and done a lot of cool arts and I think he just won another... Not that I really... Yeah, whatever. I mean, it's cool that he is getting some accolades. I don't give a rat's ass about the any awards, really, but it's uh, it's cool that someone who does work I, I like is being recognized for it. Uh, but he won for, I think, a scenario something blood king i can't remember so sorry um for old school essentials but he is going to be doing the illustrations for um tim's zine which i think will be i think tim's hoping to get it out by the end of the year but uh, we'll see i'm sure it'll be great and tim's also going to be dropping uh an anniversary of sorts with his uh 100th uh micro adventure sometime in the near future so i look forward to seeing that too and congrats tim on having you know this long dedicated string of creative production and uh i wish gothridge manor podcast came out a little more more frequently but i understand you got a lot of on your plate sometimes you just don't feel like podcasting or listening to podcasts i totally get that so Thanks to Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast, Joe from Hindsightless, Daniel from Bandit's Keep, and, and Tim from Gothridge Manor for your calls. And hope uh, character creation wasn't super boring. But uh, yeah, until I talk to you again. And uh, Jason and I are planning on doing a, another Universal Monsters thing, The Bride of Frankenstein the next few days hopefully by next week we'll have another installment of that out want to get a couple of them in before halloween keep the spooky season going all right until talk to you again don't go down in a heap i don't have the ride what am i going to do without thunder saying ukla ariel ride time to go ariel goodbye